So I got the invitation on a Saturday night, and I opened it up. I know, I know a lot of people, okay, I'm getting there. And uh, I wasn't going to open it up because it came from a strange address, and then I thought, thought it was a promotion. It said, like, Hanukkah with a number next to it. And I opened it up, and it was an invitation to go to the White House for the Hanukkah party yesterday. So I turned to my wife, I turned to Ariel, and I said, looks like we got invited to the White House. <laughs> and she said, come on. And I said, yeah, I think it looks like we got invited. And then I, I didn't respond, and I forgot about it for three days. <laughs> Completely forgot about it until we were at a staff meeting, and somebody brought up something. And uh, I don't know how it triggered, it triggered something in me. I said, oh, my gosh. I was invited to the White House for a Hanukkah party next week. I better respond. <laughs> so I did, and, um, and then I told my father, and he called me the next day. First he took it in, and then he looked at me very seriously. And he called me back the next day, and he left an urgent, you know those urgent messages? On, like, I don't know how people do that, but they can make it urgent. <laughs> my dad and my mom are the only ones, I don't even know how to do it. They make it urgent. And I'm thinking, you know, whenever I get an urgent phone call from my parents, it makes me nervous. What could be so urgent, you know? Don't forget to wear a tie. <laughs> I did. And, um, and the whole way down on the train, um, the question was, when would I get the stain on the tie? That was the question. So when you go down to the White House, um, I think the most commonly asked question that I was following with my friends, or a lot of people that I knew that were there, was if you have a chance to speak to the president, what are you going to say? You know, you have 15 seconds, 10 seconds, a minute if you're obnoxious, you know. <laughs> what are you going to say? So just as I almost never think about what I'm going to tell you on Friday night, I almost was thinking on the way down, I'm not going to think about anything. I'll just say what I have to say. Whatever will be in the moment, you know, that'll be what's true. But um, it was a big question on Facebook. There were a lot of answers given to a lot of different people. What are you going to say? Everything from the most sublime thing to the most ridiculous thing. Everything imaginable was being offered. If you have 15 seconds to speak to the most powerful man in the world, what are you going to tell him? What can you say? It's not dissimilar in many ways to what's happening in the Torah this week. <laughs> it's not. It's in fact one of those places where the Torah as a reflection of current events is really, as a rabbi, you don't have to make a stretch at all. The Parsha begins with Judah approaching, unbeknownst to him, his brother, but approaching Let's say not President Obama, but Vice President, let's say Biden, you know. <laughs> so he's approaching a very powerful man who has a lot of, of control over his life. And he has a moment to speak to him, and what is he going to say? What is he going to say to Joseph? We'll call him Joseph. Jo Judah doesn't know it's Joseph. We'll call him Joseph. We'll call his brother. What is he going to say to this cold-hearted, manipulative Pharaonic vice president of Egypt who has been now been pulling all of the strings in the most bizarre, the most absurd, surreal way, the most punishing way. 
There can't be anything that the brothers are feeling except this man has it out for us. We haven't done anything wrong, and he is seeing to it that we will suffer. And so without getting into what prompts Judah and what will prompt Joseph, what does Judah say in this moment that could possibly change the course of his family's history and indeed the, the course of the whole Bible? And I'll give you a hint. Because as you all know the story, he's going to say something powerful. He will unlock a lock that has been locked for 22 years. 22 years Joseph will be thinking about his brothers. In 22 years, he'll be dreaming for that moment, this moment, tomorrow morning, every year, for 2,000 years, tomorrow morning. What is Judah going to say? And he doesn't have Facebook to ask around. And the clue to that question is what is the most important question in the Torah? What is the most important question in the book of Genesis? that until this point in the story has not yet been answered. This is something that I read from Peter Pitsley. I also heard Rabbi Sharon Brous, a colleague of mine, speak about this once. I've seen it in a number of other places, but it's a very powerful insight. What is the question that is hanging over the book of Genesis that now Judah will have to clue into in order to open the lock of Joseph's heart? And it's one simple question. Hashomer achi anochi. Hashomer Achianochi is the rhetorical question of whom? Of Cain, of Cain. Cain and Abel, that archetypal moment of fratricide, that moment of, of two brothers who should be together, who go out into the field, and that horrific moment. And God says to Cain, The sound of your brother's blood is screaming to me from the earth, that same earth that brought forth life a few chapters earlier is now bringing forth the sound of death. And Cain's response is, Hashomer achi anochi? I have no idea what happened to my brother. Am I my brother's keeper? Hashomer achi anochi? Am I the shomer? What is a shomer? A shomer is the guardian. When I give you something, I say, here, Max, hold on to this. You are the shomer. You have to watch over it. From your hand, I will come to ask it from you. Should you lose it, should anything happen to this thing that I've given you, God has given you, Cain, a brother, and you ask, am I his shomer? Am I his guardian? Must I watch over him? Am I to, to answer to your question? And God, in one of the most deafening silences in all of human history, in any book of literature, doesn't respond. And Rabbi Brous has said this repeatedly, and I love it. That question is the question that follows the entire book of Genesis, the book of principles, of first moments, of archetypes, of essential universal laws about how we are to live in the world as human beings, as Jews. Am I my brother's keeper? And it keeps being answered in the affirmative no. In the absolute, no, I am not my brother's keeper. And so here we stand, Parshat Vayigash tomorrow morning, and Judah has to answer that question. That's what Joseph wants to know. Are you my keeper? Are you Benjamin's keeper? If you know the story, Benjamin now is at stake. Benjamin 
the other son of Rachel, Joseph's mother. She, he is at stake. And the answer that Judah will give in the most profound moment is that Judah will use the language of Eravon. Eravon means collateral. Eravon is the Hebrew term that when I give you something, you give me, it in you give me something in return to hold on to so that I know that you are responsible. And Judah has already made himself the guarantor of Benjamin. And so now when he comes to speak to President Joseph, he whispers in his ear, Elav. he comes intimate with him in a moment that evokes in us the moment of, of, of Isaac, of come close so that I can touch you. He comes close into the intimate space of his brother and says, I cannot allow you to hold on to Benjamin. Take me in his place. He said to his father, I am mixed in. I am a Ravon. I am the collateral for Benjamin. I am standing in for him. I replace myself. I replace him with me. And that's enough for Joseph to hear. As soon as Joseph hears that, he says, Really? Really? The great Nelson Mandela, when... Allah shalom, in many ways, his memory is a blessing. When having a conversation about the reconciliation that needed to take place in South Africa, he was asked to describe a philosophy that many of you amazingly probably have heard of called Ubuntu. Yeah? Ubuntu. What does Ubuntu mean? They asked. He said this, a person is a person through other people. An affirmation of one's humanity through the recognition of the other in his or her uniqueness and difference. It is a demand for a creative intersubjective formation in which the other becomes a mirror for my subjectivity. That the I that I am is an I because we are a ravon. We are arevim zebazeh. We are each and every one of us mixed up with each other. We are all mixed up. We're all mixed up. The Hebrew word for evening is erev. When the light and the dark begin to play off each other and you don't know which one is which. When divisions and lines become blurred. When there's a sense that we're not that far apart. Ubuntu, what we would call Eravut, Arevut. Kol Yisrael Arevim Zebazeh. We, each and every one of us as human beings, are intertwined and interlocked. We are mixed in together. We are all the mixed multitude. And that what happens to you happens to me. What happens to me happens to you. That is the human face that Judah needed to give to Joseph. We get it, Joseph. We get it. We missed that. We missed it. But now I get it, Judah says, in the name of his brothers, we're in it together. It's the human face saying, I'm here for you, you're here for me. So I didn't get that moment. Didn't have it, you know. 
didn't have that moment. And I'll tell you something, it didn't matter. I was kind of happy because the feeding frenzy was driving me crazy. It didn't feel holy to me to be making a relic out of a man. But what was holy, I'll tell you, I had a moment. When we lit the candles, there were two Holocaust survivors that were there that were lighting this candle, the menorah, the candelabra, that comes from a town in Czechoslovakia. And there was a family there named the Edinger family from Ostrava. They had been deported to Poland. And it was a member of that family at the reception that lit the menorah. And I couldn't stop thinking about the significance of lighting eight candles. The significance of all eight of those candles saying to the other ones, I won't finish this holiday without all of you with me. That all eight of those candles were saying, if we had known during those horrible years, if the world had recognized that we were their brothers. But there she was, lighting those candles, saying, we're all in this together still. Let's get that message. Ubuntu arevut. Saying it to our first black president who knows it too. Ubuntu arevut. That with that essential core principle of all eight candles, each one unique, each one special, but all of them together rising up, that's the eternal message of Hanukkah. That's the eternal message of Thanksgiving. That's the eternal message of a community that comes together to do chesed, to do loving kindness, even when it's difficult. A community that brings coats for winter. We are all in this together, together, together. So I'll tell you, as I was leaving, slightly disappointed with the night, thinking, wow, I don't get this whole thing of power and da-da-da. I saw her standing by herself, that woman. And I walked over to her. There were no lines waiting to shake her hand. There were no security guards surrounding her. She doesn't have power. But she lit that candle. And I wanted to hold her hand. And I leaned in and I said to her, I said, I came down here to the White House. They told me to meet the president, but it was really to meet you. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you for lighting that menorah. And I want to thank your ancestors for bequeathing it to you and to us. And I will take that candle with me back to my community. So here she is tonight with all of us teaching us the lesson of Kol Yisrael Arevim Zebazeh, each and every one of us is mixed up together with each other. When that sentence was whispered in the ears of a great man a long time ago, it unlocked his heart. I bless you that you hear it whispered in your ears too tonight and every night, reminding you that you're in this together each and every one of us, a candle in that great menorah of the Holy One. Please remember that.